But don't be ashamed if you get confused when you talk to your friends or you watch the news. They try to tell you where it all went wrong. Now you don't need to argue, just sing this song. It was rich people stacking the deck. Rich people with big fat checks. Rich people, they're having a ball. Rich people been us all. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Yeet the Rich. I am Emily Walsh, and I'm here with my co-host and husband, Danny Moss. Hello. And we are back, and we are moving on.org to yeah, a new moving on. new horizon. Not you a guys. single highlighter to be seen on this, this, not any paper to be seen. Look at you. Well, there's, you know, there's paper. Right. It's a business. <laughs> they have paper. This uh, topic... This family, this story has everything. Like I, well, I started reading about it, and I could just only think of Stefan from SNL. Like I was just like, <laughs> it has everything. It's got drug addiction. It's got oh. alcoholism. It's okay. got fourteen foot whale bones in the garden. It's what? got adultery. It's got overdoses. It's got motorcycle deaths. It's got car deaths. <laughs> it's got kidnapping. It's got attempted kidnapping. Wow. There's some molestation. There's some oh, murder. God. There's some oh, suicide. No. Side. Oh no. It's nuts. There is a golden chamber pot for a baby. There's a lot of oh, things. Okay. There's cool. a lot of things. I didn't realize like having whale bones was a category, but that's cool. Well, we'll get into it, but one of the family members uh wanted to put an entire whale on the roof of the house and eventually didn't because she was like, eh, it feels like a lot of work. <laughs> like they're they're crazy, they're kooky, they're Got all it. together spooky. They are the Johnson family. Ooh, bum 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 bum. Yeah, I feel the like Johnson... you've been like teeing them up for a little while now. Well, the and, audience needs to know. And it's it I think part of the reason I'm so jazzed um is that I knew nothing about them before this. They made like, band-aids. If you had asked me, I'd be like, they're probably rich. Like I know they yeah. are an old family. I know that they're at least like four generations of a successful business. So they're probably rich and they're probably messed up. But I <laughs> I didn't know a single thing about them. So this entire book like I feel like normally when we're learning about something, it's because we already had an interest in it, and right. so I'm like, oh, well, I kind of knew about you know Elizabeth Holmes or whatever. But this is like you don't have a lot of interest in like Ace Bandages. No, okay. I mean I've used some. Yeah, a couple. We own band aids. We do own in this some house. Yeah, and then this is going to be an arc like this is going to be a okay. real arc because Exciting. i brought up the fact that i was doing the johnson johnson family and i'm basing it mostly on a book that was written 10 years ago okay and somebody casually was like oh because of the talcum powder like discussion oh because the baby powder actually is causing cancer that's like a now thing right? that's like a literally yeah. this year they paid out several billion dollars to people because of the baby powder so that is we are going to get to that. Yeah. But that is like miles away. Like yeah, this this book was 12 years ago and now there's a whole new saga. Yeah, there's a guy that ran for office in like the fourth generation. Like it's Are there two Johnson families or is it just they were just like Okay, so there's one patriarch. Okay. But he doesn't actually it's kind of starts with his kids. Got it. His kids 
three brothers start the business. Okay. And then they each have their respective families. So why is it not Johnson and Johnson and Johnson? Well, if you would let me oh, I'm so sorry. fucking <laughs> tell you, I would explain to you why it's a journey. Okay. Great. But also everyone in this family has been remarried 7,000 times. Got they it, all yeah. have stepkids, adopted kids, kids that might not be their kids. So like there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of the same like three names. There's a lot of Roberts. Okay. There's a lot of Sewards. And there's a lot of Barbaras. Barbaras. So if you get a little confused, I apologize. I, there is, you can Google family tree if you want. And I, I of course, did my due diligence. I took notes. I wrote things down. But I also had a moment where I was like a little confused about something today. And then I was like, literally, it doesn't matter. Like these... <laughs> This is not a, ma- a measure of like ruining a reputation. Like this is a bunch of insane people that were alive 150 years ago. And if I mix up which one like had a... Barbara 1 know, or Barbara 2, who cares? Who cares? But I'm going to do my best. I, that's a horrible way to start. I didn't do a good <laughs> job. But um, but no, they're just, they're just nuts. And I can't... I'm on the edge of my seat. And I am not even... I don't even have all the information yet. But yeah. we're going to talk about the two oldest generations of the family today. So we're okay, going to go perfect. generation by generation. So the book that I base this on is Crazy Rich, Power, Scandal, and Tragedy Inside the Johnson & Johnson Dynasty. Wow. And it's by an author named Jerry Oppenheimer, who is a guy who writes a lot of unsolicited biographies, unauthorized <laughs> biographies. He has written about the Clintons. He's written about the Kardashians. He's written about uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. He's written about some other more reputable people. And, you know, there are other books. There's like a full book into just one four-month trial this family has about its inheritance disputes. But there's not really like a definitive uh, historian book on these people. So, again, we're just doing our best out here. I don't really know. And this guy... It does seem action-packed. Like, you know, for a topic. action-packed. You like like, took the Band-Aid off and you're like, shit, there's all kinds of stuff in there. There's maggots in here. Yeah, (laughs) it is. It's wild. And it's... Normally, I like read the book and then I'm like, okay, what stood out to me? What do I want to talk about? What did I already know about this topic that I'm going to look up online? Yeah. Every page, I'm like, well, I can't ignore that part. Like, I feel like I was just like (laughs) rewriting down. Like, much like your highlighting last week where you were just like everything important yeah but we're gonna do our best we're gonna see where we get uh today i'm gonna try to get through two generations but okay you know i'll try not to slow you down with like band-aid based puns i mean that's kind of what you're here for today so (laughs) the other thing i will say and i'm gonna keep mentioning things like this but a i'm not gonna get into any of it at all but there is a trigger warning for molestation for child abuse for some not so great marriages we're not going to discuss a literal thing that happened, but just if you don't want to hear about that, yep. you know, maybe listen a different day or maybe don't listen to this episode, but just FYI. And then this author, I'm going to do my best to like fight his bias, but he's definitely a little bit of a sexist. And there are some characters that he was like, yeah, then he married his his nurse, but we don't know the nurse's name. Like yeah. he just is a little bit of a sexist. He describes a lot of the females in really unflattering ways and doesn't really say anything about the men unless they are particularly commanding. So... I don't know that you need to, if you're more interested in the Johnson family, maybe Uh, get this book from the library. Maybe don't give this man any money. Right. But I just wanted to mention that we're not going to, there's, this is not true crime podcast. We're not going to get into anything. It's just going to be like, and he was accused of doing this and moving on. So I'm not trying to be like, you know, whatever, but I feel like some people might be like, oh, I would have liked to know I was going (laughs) to, you know, hit this topic. But anyway, let's get into it. I'm excited. 
Rip the Johnson family. Yeah, let's roll. I so I literally my topic for this document is Johnson and Johnson bisexuals, philanderers, and drug drug addicts. Okay, perfect. So that is who they are. A lot of a lot of real fun bisexuality happening in this family. Oh. I wish that any of them were out and proud about it, but there's a lot of clandestine uh, things happening. So they are said to be the most dysfunctional family in the Fortune 500. Wow. Yeah, they are... That's a uh, nice, fun distinction. Yeah, right? And like I said before, there's there's drug addiction, there's alcoholism, there's adultery, there's overdoses, molestation, kidnapping, murder, suicide, everything you can think of that you don't want to be involved in, this family was involved in. But that's not how it started. Okay. Um, this company was started by three brothers that were three of 11 children. Wow. Okay. So their father was a farmer and their wife, his wife had 11 children and they were eight, 10 and 11. So they were some of the youngest kids. Okay. Their dad was from Pennsylvania and their mother could trace her lineage all the way back to the Massachusetts Bay Colony. So some of the first Americans that came over from Europe and their mom's name was Louisa Wood Johnson. She started having kids when she was 19 years old, had 11 of them. And these guys are eight, 10, 11. Wow. Yeah, she pumped them out. Yeah. She just pumped them out. And uh, so kids. <laughs> yeah, the three that we're concerned with um, are Robert Wood. Wood is the middle name, but we're okay. not going to use Wood once we get into it. But sure. Robert Wood, James Wood, and Edward Mead. Mm. So they started this business together in 1886. We're going to go back a little bit in a second. But they started this business in 1886 and stole Clara Barton's Red Cross logo, the logo that you see on everything, <laughs> Johnson uh-huh. & Johnson. Uh-huh. They got away with taking that for $1. Great. And we'll get into that saga later. But they you know, kicked it off by taking something from a, a lady that yeah. was trying to do charity. They basically took the logo without asking. And then a lot of other people did that as well, apparently. Like, it was pretty uh-huh. common practice to be like, this visual looks good, so I'm going to take it. But they stole it. And in 1895, when she was in her 70s, Clara Barton, she lobbied Congress for a bill to make that logo exclusive to the Red Cross. And she was hoping that if people continued to use it, she could gain some money for the Red Cross. Like, she right. just wanted to, like, do more nice things. Um, not to say that I approve of everything the Red Cross does, but you get it. Yeah. Uh, but the Senate passed the bill. President Grover Cle- Cleveland nixed the bill. And somehow Johnson got her to agree to a $1 fee. Uh, so they used yeah. the logo and then they advertised in her Red Cross notes. Like, she wrote these pamphlets to uh, help people, like, learn about health. And they were even advertising themselves in that and somewhere before she died, she wrote, quote, we are stupid about law, <laughs> which I just <laughs> yeah, identify with that. She's yeah. like, I don't know. I fucked we up. Are. Yeah. I mean, if we've learned nothing from this whole thing, it's that like all of the laws happen too late for the bad things. You know, like, they're the always bad things to happen clean up. Yeah. Like, the bad things happen. And then they're like, oh, I guess we should make a law about that. So they started this company together. And uh, when they were kids, Robert was the one that everyone put all their faith in. They thought he was going to be like the smart one. They sent him to Wyoming Seminary, which was a school in Pennsylvania. They waited until like the seventh kid to he's be like... The he's the 11th. This, they waited for the last kid to be like, this one, this one right here. This He'll one gets to go to one. school. I honestly, I don't know if maybe they just couldn't afford to yeah, send them to school, yeah. but they were impressed by Robert. So he got to go to Wyoming Seminary in Pennsylvania when he was 13 and he received a classical education. And he, when he was 16, the Civil War started and he was sent to apprentice at a drugstore in New York City. God. Yeah, a lot I, of things I keep in this story. This is like way back, way back. A lot of things in this story, timeline-wise, they'll just 
casually mention things that are going on or like uh-huh. who is the president and you're like this family has been around <laughs> for so long yeah but it's also uh, everyone who is everyone needs a more complicated name i couldn't find anything <laughs> like online it was very tricky to find other topics but anyway so he goes to apprentice at a drugstore in new york city and he's learning how to make medicinal plasters which is basically like how you make a band-aid or a bandage before band-aids existed and he said probably no other branch of pharmaceutical art has been the occasion of so much toil anxiety and failure expressive expletives could not be restrained (laughs) so it sounds like just not a good time yeah not a good time making band-aids really tough yeah but they did it and then they stole a cross and everybody's i guess right now he's just making bandages okay so after the apprenticeship he spent four years as a clerk in downtown new york city at a wholesale drug company and in 1873 he partnered with a man named george j seabury And they started the company Seabury and Johnson. Mm. So they were in Brooklyn and they were marketing sundry goods. So sundry goods back in the day is anything you're getting at the general store, I guess. Got it. Sure. Like, and also just gauze and things. And they were making plasters. They were making bandages in Brooklyn. And they were also thinking about developing sterile surgical dressing. So that was something they were really obsessed with and ultimately led to their success because surgeons had literally just realized like, oh, if we don't, if we wash our hands, let's people die yeah so they were trying to come up with a dressing oh, that yeah. they could sell that was already sterile during the civil war a lot of bad hygiene and stuff yeah. you know a lot of cut norms off. like and... surgeons are just like oh i'll just use my sandwich to clot your blood <laughs> like it was not it was not good gross yeah it was gross yeah. it, that happened probably yeah probably so maybe i'm not a fact checker but uh, <laughs> so five years after they open they're already really successful they're expanding to europe they're getting all over the place but seabury did not want to expand he actually was like very happy with the Brooklyn-based business. And so because he wanted more control of the company, he brought in his own brother, Robert. I know that there's already a Robert. Don't worry. This guy's going away real fast. Sorry. But he brought in his brother. Seabury brought in his brother. Seabury brought in his brother to be like, he's I got... also named Robert. Yes. We'll Ooh. just call him Seabury too. Because it doesn't... <laughs> he's not... There's so many other Roberts I need you to care about later. You're so great. that guy's Seabury yeah. too. And then so OG Robert Johnson brought in his brother, Edward, because he was like, fine, you get a brother i'm gonna bring in a brother (laughs) so he brought him in as a salesman even though he had studied law and not business so he was super not qualified to be there he also wanted to bring in his brother james but seabury was like um i know i brought in my brother first but now you're being like that's that's a lot of nepotism that's too many brothers their response was that they loved nepotism (laughs) and that they called their family the lucky sperm club what yeah it's gross don't care for that nope but it's what they did yeah i won't say it again but they like to say it So by 1879, they had a pretty big catalog. They stole a famous surgeon, Lister, who is the guy who realized things should be clean. They stole his name for their gauze. They just put it on there. Got it. I guess nobody... Do you think he has anything to do with Listerine? Honestly? Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. Something to think about. Yeah. So they are doing pretty well. Robert marries a woman named Ellen Cutler, and they have their daughter, Roberta. But then they get divorced pretty quickly. He he loves getting divorced, this Robert. So in July 1885, so Robert really does want to expand. And him and Seabury at this point are having existential differences. So he decides to resign from the company in July of 1885. 
Johnson and Seabury had come to irreconcilable differences and Johnson decided to leave the company. So they worked out a deal that Seabury was going to give him a quarter of a million dollars, $250,000 for half of the company, but he was allowed to pay it over time. And Johnson was excluded from similar businesses for 10 years. So he Mm. couldn't be making band-aids for 10 years. Um, His brothers, James and Edward, decided to start a business right after and they borrowed $1,000 from Robert, and they started a wholesale druggist and drug manufacturing <laughs> business. Yeah. So they had a fourth floor of a loft in New Brunswick. They were halfway in between New York and Philly, and they were by a river and a train. So it was kind of a perfect place for their factory. Seabury was pretty livid about all of this, but he had also missed a few of the payments he was supposed to give to Robert. Ah. So Robert said that he would forfeit all the money that he was owed if he could work with his brothers, if they could get rid of that 10-year clause. He yeah, was like, sure. you don't need to owe me any more money but i'm going back into bandages yeah and he was like okay fine, fine. really so, feels like a i'm not touching you i'm not my, touching my, you. my brother started that it's my brothers it's you don't even me. know which ones i have 10 brothers they're all named robert yeah everyone's were robert there's 12 names in the 1800s <laughs> so in october 28th 1897 they formally incorporated the company at this time, it's all three brothers. It's Robert, who has 40% of the stock. Edward, Mead, and James each had 30 together. Mm. Or no, they each had 30. Apologies. So when he was 47 years old, Robert married 27-year-old Evangeline Armstrong. Mm. This is his second marriage. And they had a baby exactly nine months after they eloped. Got it. This family... They're really fucking good at having kids nine months after a marriage (laughs) and also getting married within 30 days after a divorce. Almost every single one of these marriages is within. They are like no bones about it. They're like, I put you over here. I picked up a new toy. Like, yeah, they are just cruising through. You know, they don't want to patch up the relationship, Emily. That's exhausting. They do all the patching up at work. So hilarious. (laughs) So they get married, they have a baby, they lived at Gray Terrace, which was a giant Gilded Age mansion that was very ostentatious that was right next to the factory that he bought when they got married. They had Roberta, and then they had Roberta already from his uh, first marriage, Mm -hmm. and then Evangeline had a son, Robert Wood Johnson Jr. So Robert Jr. is pretty big Mm -hmm. later, and then they had a daughter, Evangeline Brewster Johnson. So they They have... Could not come up with other names. There's literally 12 names. You can have my name. There's 12 names in the 1800s. So those are the kids that they're going to come back later. Robert... So... This is Robert number one. Robert number one, his kids are very prominent Johnsons. The other two kid, the other two people's children are less like the di- the Robert dynasty is more the family we're discussing. Okay, but we'll get into some of the other ones. But main top Robert is the is the patriarchy of most of this story. If Should that makes call sense, call him like Big Bob or something. Big Bob. <laughs> All right, we can call him Big Bob. The other Robert has a nickname, but I Big Bob. Okay. <laughs> okay. So at this point, the company is doing a lot of good. They're making things that are life-saving and they're making history, but they also had some suspect products because like we talked about in our other medicine episode, yeah. you don't really need to be a doctor to make medicine. You just are like, this is medicine. This is medicine. If you want to totally buy it. Done. So it's, they, it's they some kitchen grease. Put it on your wounds. Literally. Put it on your wounds. They had a thing. They had a tonic that was called Vino Calafra. Which was a quote non habit forming, which just makes me feel like it yeah, definitely is habit forming. Yeah, uh, it was a tonic to invigorate the feeble and hasten convalescence. Oh. So it's just supposed to get you pumped up. 
and it was just some cheap sherry that oh, okay. the workers ended up partaking in. And what was so it they got rid of Vino... it. Vino Calafra. Calafra. Got it. Colafra. And it was wine soda. It's wine soda. Its competition was Coca Cola. Yeah. They came oh, okay. up with it because of Coca Cola. So, yeah. So they're making their surgical sutures, which is pretty groundbreaking. They start making the cotton gauze in the iconic current packaging, mm. or relatively current. I'm sure they've changed yeah, you know, yeah. small things. They made something called the Dr. Simpson's Maternity Packet for midwives that was very popular. They had a teeth whitening product with little rats with toothbrushes on the label, oh. which is fun. Okay. And it was the first tooth cleansing product that came in a tube. And in 1892, they started to sell baby powder, which was to stop skin skin irritation. And in 1892, they started to sell baby powder, which was supposed to stop skin irritation. And eventually it was used on 60% of all babies in America. Got it. Which will be a problem later. Well, it's actually not the babies, but we'll get into that. Um, We'll get into that later. But... At this point, Edward Meade separates to create his own company. So the Johnsons that are actually Johnson and Johnson are the first two Johnsons. And Edward is going over here to do something else. So... What's Edward doing? Edward is starting a company named American Ferment. Like fermenting. Oh, okay. Um, he was using papaya to create things to help stomach ailments. He was like kind of on the forefront of like tummy problems. <laughs> Got it. And he divorced his first wife and married a woman named Helen Dalton, who was a hat shop owner. 90 days after the... Yeah. Like 30 days after the divorce. Exactly. She actually became one of the peacemakers in the Johnson family and sold jewelry to support her family. So Mm. as far as spouses in this family, it seems pretty okay. All right. Yeah. So in 1905, the company expanded even bigger. They became Mead, Johnson, and Co. They moved operations to Indiana so they could have cheaper access to potato starch because that was in so many of their products. Mm. And his sons, Ted, Lambert, and James, become executives. They create something called Nutramygen, the first formula for babies sensitive to cow's milk, and Visol, the first water-soluble vitamin in a drop form. They also created something called Metrocell, which was a 1950s weight loss formula that had it was a big old flop. Mm. Did not work. But he eventually sold that company and retired to Palm Beach. And again, one of the less problematic Johnsons. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like make a bunch of money, retire somewhere sunny. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in 1910, at 64 years old, Big Bob himself, Robert Wood Johnson, he fell ill with kidney disease. Oh, no. And he saw the best doctors available, doctors that treated presidents like they went to everyone. But unfortunately, he died a month later. It was not something that money could fix. Right after we came up with that nickname for him, Big Bob Big is Bob dead. Big Bob is dead. Big Bob's <laughs> That's why I was like, sure, we can come whenever you want. He's out of here. Bye, Big Bob. Bye, Big Bobby. So it was a... He was very popular, and people really loved working for him. 2,500 employees went to the funeral. There were over 30 carriages and thousands of walking mourners. And a year after his death, his estate, his entire property and everything, all of his assets, was worth $3,372,250. Wow. Back in the day, that was... I looked it up. Cash. Now that is $108 million. Got it. So nothing to sneeze at. Nothing to sneeze at. And he was buried in an insane... Insanely ornate mausoleum in New Brunswick that was just like had a pond and a bunch of marble and was just absolutely extra. So good for him. Wonder if it had that cross that he stole from probably the lady on top. <laughs> probably. 
So his widow, Evangeline, OG Evangeline, because there's two now, she surprised everybody. She moved out of the estate and she took her two youngest children to Manhattan for the social life. Yeah. Her son, Robert Jr., was already 17 when their father died, and he was very devastated, but he also intended to work with the company. And at 17 in the 1800s, that's old enough to live alone. So he decided to stay in New Jersey. Evangeline met a member of the British Parliament and married him and kind of just abandoned her children. (laughs) Not great. How old were they? So the other kids were, if Robert Jr. is 17... They're roughly like 17, 15, 13, and 8 or something. Like, they're... They're not old at all. They're way too young. I mean, there's plenty of money in this family, so obviously somebody's feeding them and Mm -hmm. caring for them, but no child in this entire story has good parents. No, (laughs) Not one child is like, I feel fulfilled and cared for and and loved, and and they came to my soccer games. Like, that is not... any soccer games. (laughs) No. No, no, no. No, 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 no. So... She is living it up in Manhattan. She's traveling around. And one of her kids, the original Seward, was 15. And his son later spoke on it, Seward Jr., and he said that his dad at 15 was basically left alone with a New York socialite who kept him as a, quote, sexual prisoner. Okay. Yeah, until Robert Jr. showed up and rescued him. And Robert Jr. was kind of a dick and would hold that rescue over him financially and emotionally for the rest of his life. Awesome. O.G. Seward, who was abused by this woman, which is not what they say in 2013 when it's a woman and a young boy, but uh-huh. when he was abused, that affected him for the rest of his life and possibly led to the abuse of his own daughter. Mm. Yeah, we're going to talk about that later when we get to it in the story. I have a lot of feelings about it. It is still speculation. It's never been taken to court. There's never been any quote unquote proof. Mm -hmm. It is a fully like you either believe her account or you don't. There's a lot of people that don't believe her and we'll get into why they don't believe her. When we come to that, I tend to think that I do believe her, but also wasn't there. Don't know. But we'll get into that later. But basically, Seward at 15, he's messed up for for life. There's nothing... Nothing good happening after that. He's kind of like that other kidnapped grandson. He didn't he didn't have a great He didn't flourish. Yeah. yeah. So after Big Bob died, brother James took over. His brother James took over the company, but that entire time Robert Jr is in the wings just like put me in coach. Just just get me in there. Living by himself. I can't wait to make band-aids. <laughs> James is the third brother of this OG generation. He is kind of boring. He was quiet and unassuming. He was the president for 22 years from 1910 to 1913. And that is actually when the Band-Aid showed up on the scene. It's 1913? In that window of time, 1910 to 1932. Nice. So he really had a big run at the company. He expanded into foreign markets. He expanded to the UK, Mexico, and South Africa. The writing on the label, Johnson & Johnson, the cursive, that's actually James's handwriting. Yeah, he had... Yeah, right? His first wife was named Mary Law Johnson. They had two daughters, Helen and Louise, and they lived in a giant mansion named Lindenwood because this entire family names their homes. And that's how you know you're very wealthy, yeah. is if you name your house. Should we name our apartment? No, I don't. I, I don't think it's... The problem is our apartment is not sad enough for that to be ironic. Oh, right. It would, it's like a nice apartment, but it is an apartment. I think people would think we were serious. Oh, be like, yeah. okay, Maybe. we get it. You have an office. Like, we're assholes, yeah. You're, I mean, we are in New York very wealthy because yeah. I have an office. It only took 15 years, but anyway, yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so they have two daughters, Helen and Louise. Helen 
was a major stockholder of the company and she married a self-made Wall Street guy who then their son uh, was an organ enthusiast. And when he became an adult, he managed his mother's stock holdings and played all the great oh, okay. organs of the world. Great. He, organ, the instrument, not organ. Not, the not a part. murderer. Not, <laughs> a, not cutting kidney cells. <laughs> just, you know, like the rest of the family. It could go either way. Yeah. Uh, no, he loved organs, <laughs> the instrument. Okay. Yeah. And so he, he just traveled and played. These are the people in the dynasty I like the people that just take all the fuck all money and yeah. they're like I have no ambition I'm a weirdo I'm gonna go I'm just gonna go enjoy organs play with not body parts I'm gonna love it there, yeah. there is a documentary also if anyone is interested I could not make it through it is called Born Rich it is made by Jamie Johnson who is I believe the fifth generation of the Johnson family okay and it's him and all of his friends in their like early 20s and it's like Ivanka Trump and like the daughter of uh, Michael Bloomberg it's uh, all these people and he interviews all of them I try to watch it today i could not make it for 10 minutes he was just like talking about the emotions that you have as a rich person and like i understand that obviously rich people have emotions but like he's literally like he's getting ready for his 21st birthday in the beginning there's like a montage of him getting ready Uh and he's putting on a tux and tails and white gloves and being like i'm just not sure how to feel about getting more money for nothing than anyone sees in their (laughs) lifetime and i'm like this isn't a documentary you show the world this is your shame notebook and then you go ride a jet ski into a chocolate fountain like i don't know you're (laughs) don't don't make this documentary. Yeah, they made that documentary because it's, they wanted people to understand that it's hard to be a rich person when they have not thought about how difficult it is to not be a rich person. Yeah, no, life. there's it's completely tone deaf and insane. Apparently it was on HBO and was like nominated for an Emmy. I think that's psychotic. I could not get through it, but if you want to watch it, it's called Born Rich. You can find it on YouTube. But anyway... Yeah, so that family's kind of wrapped up. We don't really get into them. They're a little boring for our taste as far as the Johnson family. So back to Robert Jr. He's going to get his own nickname soon, so don't worry about that. Okay, He right. gets one just organically. I was cooking one up, but I don't know. Yeah, need to, I mean, maybe so. if yours is better, but let's get to we'll the see. Yeah. regular one. And we'll see. You don't know as much about him yet. So he's very, very, very ambitious. He wanted to take over the company immediately. At so, 17, he was like, it's mine. Yes. So when James is in his mid-70s, He marries his 32-year-old Scottish nurse. Don't know her name, unfortunately. Couldn't find it. it. Did Google it. Wasn't in the book. Wasn't in the world. And he was forcibly retired by the board. And they only gave him a $2,500 pension. Obviously, he was wealthy. Yeah, he had money. Um, But he got pretty upset about this because he had quadrupled the company's revenue in his first decade of work alone. And so they squabbled. The Band-Aid. The Band-Aid. And so he was just like, cool, cool, cool. I guess I will resign because you guys are jerks. And then he died the next year, unfortunately. So in October 1932, Robert Jr., when he's 39 years old, was named president and general manager. And he said he learned how to manipulate and dominate people because he had been on the borough council of Highland Park. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm going to get into his whole little story, but he was briefly a politician before he became Robert Jr. of Johnson & Johnson. When he was a teen and in his 20s, he was a heavy, heavy drinker, a partier. He does get married three times over the course of his life with two incredibly scandalous divorces. He had expensive speedboats and fancy cars, and he wrecked several of both. And one day... As as you must, as a child of a rich person. As you must. Thankfully, <laughs> as far as this reporting goes, we don't know. But I don't know if vehicular homicide in 1920s is really... Yeah, probably not reported. But I guess he has to, like, crank the car to get it to go. <laughs> I feel like the people have plenty of time to be like, ah, I'm running away. 
That was in poor taste. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so at one day in his late 20s, or his late teens, rather, he walks into a board meeting and collapses on the floor in a self-described drunken stupor. And before his- Messy. Yeah. Before his Uncle James died, when he was still the boss, he said he needed to shape up or he would sell the company. He was like, wow. I'm not going to hand this off to you if you're a drunken mess. Yeah. And according to this book, he instantly cleaned up his act. Uh-huh. Which like that phrase to me is ridiculous because he continues to be a very mean person who is cruel to his wives and children and still drinks and still has fast cars and still has boats. So I'm like, okay, so he didn't get drunk drunk at work anymore yeah <laughs> like that's what it takes to succeed in america is a white man with a fancy daddy he completely cleaned up his act and just employee. don't get drunk at a board meeting yeah and then you're the president so he's when he's 21 he got on the board which was in 1914 and a few years later he made a fortune in stock when his father died when robert big bob died big bob so he decides to pursue Elizabeth Dixon Ross who was wealthy in her own right her family was a very successful coal seller I, not minor. I don't know. Coal magnate? Distributor? Yeah. I don't know. He did coal stuff. And her grandfathers were a judge and a congressman. So she was like a pretty prominent member of society. By 1916, the company, they're in full swing in World War One, and they're making miles of gauze. They're making bandages seven days a week because... They have to get it out for the war effort and the uh, I workforce. If they made any radium tinctures. They might have. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know. And their workforce was mostly women because men were off fighting that war. So Robert Jr. stayed home from World War I. He was a captain in the reserves, and he got married in 1916. And his mother, Evangeline OG, did go to the wedding, and she brought her British diplomat husband, and Seward was the best man. But shortly after this wedding, the original Evangeline died um, in a freak accident when she was 54 years old. She fell and broke her hip, and two weeks later, that led to a blood clot that killed her. Oh, no. So when she was 54, she died, and her only child at her bedside in London was her daughter, Evangeline Number 2. Got it. Evangeline Number 2 is one of my favorites so far. Okay. Character-wise, we're going to get into her sure. in a little bit, but she's a spicy meatball. Okay. So <laughs> after I'm that- I'm excited. Yeah, that's, no, she's, she's my favorite. So after that, Robert won a council seat in Highland Park and was eventually appointed mayor. So that is kind of where he gets a little bit of politics. He does not say a politics politician but he says that that like preps him to manipulate people basically yeah yeah, dominate people which is what you want that's what i want in a small town mayor is total domination (laughs) please can you fix my potholes absolutely not. absolutely not so this doesn't have a ton to do with the family but 1920 is actually the year the Band-Aid was invented. Okay. A guy named Earl E. Dixon, who did work at the company, created the Band-Aid because his wife, Josephine, when they got married, she was learning to cook and cooking every night, and she was cutting herself a lot. She was just like a clumsy person. Mm. And she'd be like, oh, dang, Earl, I did it again. And then he would like run and kind of like create something to help yeah, yeah, yeah. her. But the first thing that he invented still wasn't very popular because you had to cut it to size. Oh, okay. It was like on a roll. They valued his good idea, and they actually made him one of the the vice presidents at the company which i thought was wow. really cool and yeah 1920 is when we got the band-aid that we know today ish i'm sure it's- he was chewing some bubble gum and he like put it on some gauze and then stuck it to her hand it was and like, like this perfect. is a sterile good idea i feel great about this <laughs> okay so let me paint you a word picture i love word pictures it's 1930 Emily's word picture corner <laughs> is word picture time it's 1930 hmm. the great depression just started oh sad and rich people are still out here being rich right <laughs> the woolworth heiress 
Barbara Hutton. Not a Barbara you need to worry about. There's just a lot of fucking Barbaras. (laughs) She had her debut party. It was $60,000 at the Ritz. And party favors included gold, diamonds, and emeralds. Is that what? Yeah. While dads are out selling apples, she is having this party and no one thinks it's in poor taste because there isn't Twitter. Yeah. So people can go wherever they want and they're not called out for it. I've never received a ruby at a party. I've never received a ruby ever. Yeah. Or an emerald. No. So Robert Jr. was at this party, but he was already with his second wife. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He had already divorced Elizabeth and he had secretly married a woman named Margaret Shea. She was rumored to be this like very exciting model and fashion columnist and worked at French Vogue. But she was a simple girl from Norwich, Connecticut, who did model and was eventually a little bit of a journalist. But she had this very fantastical air about her when she entered the scene. So like 1920s Carrie Bradshaw? Is that who we're talking about? Basically. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Kind of. Yeah. So they began... I don't like both of them is what I'm saying. (laughs) No. Um, They began their relationship in Paris. He divorced his first wife in August of 1930 and married her in September of 1930. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Might as well, you know, while you have the judge there. Yeah. She said that their relationship ended because he was a womanizer, he was working too much, and he was ignoring his son. All great reasons to not want to be married. But she also didn't want to grant him a divorce. It was very complicated back then. She didn't want to do that. She didn't want her son to be abandoned. So he just left. Okay. And then she had him charged with desertion, which I didn't know was a thing. Also, just a very charming fact, everyone in the family was like, oh, yeah, why do you leave his first wife? Oh, she got fat. Oh, she gained weight, so he fucking get out of there. <laughs> so, like, Seems pretty reasonable to me. Yeah, like, ugh, gross. So they're just that's he gets like, drunk at board meetings, but we still like him. But we still like him. That's like the that's like the least bad breakup in this story <laughs> is she gained a little weight and he is a dickhead and right. left because of it. So she thankfully for all that, she did get a million dollars. She got the property and a few other properties, like she got their main estate. So she got a lot of stuff, but their son was very sad. Yeah. He was not pleased that he had been abandoned. And the tabloids announced the divorce and they actually said that the custody was split, but that was a lie. He had very little to do with his son once yeah. he was... Um, I can't see somebody that's just going and doing secret marriages like a month after a divorce caring about their kids. Nope, not at all. And he loved new wife he thought she was just the bee's knees maggie she was like a silly silly young gal like one night her and her friends put on french made uniforms and served drinks to everybody and he just was having fun good for him no she also uh was not a stepmom at all because bobby was overweight the son, the uh-huh. eight-year-old son, apparently was too overweight for either of them to care about him, <laughs> which, for the record, was not overweight at all, and you should care about everybody, obviously. Wait, I'm confused. Which, Bobby is the, the... Bobby is the son of the first wife. Mar- uh, uh, okay. Not Margaret. Elizabeth, I believe. Yeah. Um, so Bobby is the son from the first marriage. Yeah, which they had custody, but didn't have like The mom custody. had it. They said it was split, but technically he never even asked for any custody yeah. and would just kind of come by and like wave at him. So he's Bobby. When they get divorced, he's eight. And then he's just moved on. He's like, this yeah, is my right. new family. I've moved on. Yeah, so Bobby and his mom grew incredibly close, obviously. Yeah. But the chauffeur is still the one who took him like fishing. Like he did not have a male role model at all. So Maggie, the second wife. (laughs) To have a chauffeur. Yeah. (laughs) It's like that is sad. Any of this with kids, I am sad for them. Like I I totally 
that's unfortunate. That's horrible. Well, it's also just one of those things where these wealthy people, the, like uber wealthy, are just like, well, I have a bunch of kids, whatever. Who cares? I don't have to raise and them. they just like do not care about them at all. I don't. I mean, Alec Baldwin has nine. Like, what the fuck? Too many kids. It's just too many. It's simply too many. So Maggie was unable to conceive, unfortunately, but they adopted. They adopted Sheila Johnson Bruce. I don't know how she has a last name after her first name. Her name's Sheila. And later Maggie said of Robert, Johnson and Johnson was his wife, his mistress, his child, his friend, and his toy. It was his life, much more than the rest of us flesh and blood. So Robert Jr., not the best guy. Not the best guy. I miss Big Big Bob at this point, which he wasn't great either. No, but he's better than this guy. (laughs) You still haven't told me this guy's nickname. We're (laughs) literally about to get to it. It's literally the next paragraph. Okay. I've been calling him Slobby Robbie in my head. Oh, that's better, actually. <laughs> but uh, that's going to get too confusing with Bobby. So right, I don't think we should right, do that. Right, okay. Robert Jr., when he was younger, he was on the drill team during the war. He was in the Army Reserve, and he was actually a captain in the Army Reserve. And he loved wearing the uniform, but he never actually fought in combat. But in 1943, in World War II, right after Pearl Harbor, President Roosevelt actually appointed him to run the Smaller War Plants Corporation, which was going to assist 40,000 small businesses in making goods for the war. So he was promoted to the rank of Brigadier General of the Army Ordnance. He got an Italian tailor to custom make his army uniforms, (laughs) and he swaggered everywhere. Great. This is my favorite part. He resigned after 64 days. What? Because of chronic stomach problems. It probably took longer to make that suit. Yeah, no, he basically got a tummy ache and was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And he just kept the uniform. That's all he wanted. He Uh, had the uniform. He dropped the junior and made people call him the general. Boof. So that is his nickname. Now, every time we talk about him, I'm going to think of that guy who sells carpets. Yeah. You know. You should. Which would be really fun. He is the general. He is that small animated. (laughs) Animated carpet man. Oh, no. I was thinking of the general who does the car commercials um, and Shaq is on him. It's for insurance. Whatever degrading thing you want to think about him is fine with me. Okay, great. (laughs) So immediately after that, he divorces Maggie. And pursues a Manhattan nightclub dancer named Evelyn Vernon, who was still married when he met her. Did uh, Maggie gain a little weight? Why, why are we divorcing Maggie? Couldn't tell you. Just got bored. Got it. Got bored. She said that that divorce, it settled for a million dollars, and she went to Reno to get the divorce, because that's what you had to do then. Mm. And she said it was on the grounds of extreme cruelty. Oh. So I think he was just rude and horrible. Yeah. And I don't know if he was violent, but everything I've read has led me to believe he probably was a little bit. Like, yeah. don't know. They were divorced in July, and he was remarried in August. <laughs> that is insane. It's crazy. So yeah. Evie- I guess once you've started the precedent, you know- Who cares? You've already been like, well, I already do this. You're not going to Catholic heaven, so do whatever you want. So Evie, um, the third wife, she was one of the five biggest jewelry collectors in the country with his wealth. She had a 60-carat diamond. That's huge. And at one point, she was wearing a giant breastplate covered in jewels at the castle like in the UK. And the queen saw it and was like, wow, great breastplate. Like, like (laughs) they, they were out in these streets. She was also a very big Catholic herself. Robert Jr. wasn't really, but she was a big Catholic and she actually got to meet the Pope, Pope Pius XII, who gave uh, Robert a relatively common gift from the Pope. 
She's like a foot tall statue of St. Christopher, who is the patron saint of travel. And Robert did know it was a relatively common Pope gift to prominent people. He was very, very flattered and he had it cast in bronze and then he made it the grill of his cars. He like made, put it on the grill of all of his cars and was like, this is from the Pope. Oh, man. That guy's a tool. Yeah, he's he's a lot. He also started the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, which became the biggest American medical foundation for grants and research and et cetera. Okay. So that is the one good thing he did. Oh. It turns out that is a pretty good foundation. Great, great. So, well, all the rest of it then, you know, we don't even need to care about that. I someplace. wish that were true. <laughs> <laughs> So on September 1944, he took the company public, mm. which means now it's going to be traded in the stock market, which sure. we learned about. We last love the week. stock market. We love, love the stock market. It. So in 1944, it was 37.50 a share. Just to give you a context of what it was worth then and what it's worth now, a hundred shares was 37.50, and by the end of the 20th century, so not even the 21st, end of the 20th century, those shares were worth 12 million dollars. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So if you got in on that first round, yeah, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> good for you. So Robert, as a boss, he really liked the office's spotless. He did military-style inspections. He fired people all the time. The general did military. The general. <laughs> yeah. The general. He, uh, one time he fired an entire staff. Just was like... Get out. Does he put on his uniform for the firing? I honestly think he wore it like kind of a lot. Like I think he was like cosplaying for real, for real. Uh, he actually decided that baby powder was their most important product, even though it wasn't their biggest product at the time. And he really micromanaged all the products at Johnson & Johnson. He modified everything himself down to the way the sprinkle holes on the baby powder were addressed. Like We got to have 32 holes, not 28, you fools. Exactly. It was a whole thing. He also got very obsessed with uh, Modess, which was a sanitary napkin. And they first called it Lister's Towels. Again, Lister, the guy right. that was sanitary. sanitary. Guy. And their product was actually the first disposable napkin. And that was not common at the time. So he formed an entire separate corporation, the Modest Corporation. And that was like a personal products company. And he thought it would be a good way to sell them would be to highlight femininity after World War II because all these women had been in the factories. So he had two supermodels, Susie Parker and Dorian Lay, wear Dior and Valentino gowns. And they were photographed by Cecile Beaton for these ads. Like they really went to town. And the slogan was Modest, dot, 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 because... And apparently it was an incredibly successful slogan because people had to fill in the well, blanks. I mean, also, around that time was the beginning of marketing as a concept. So I feel like you got away with a lot of stuff. Easy easy stuff worked. They were, you have a slogan? Yeah. We love it. <laughs> we love a slogan. We love it. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to talk about OG Evangeline. Okay. But we'll see how far, we'll see how long that takes. Yeah, sure. And we'll see where we get today. <sighs> a saga. We're, we're setting up a saga here. It's a dynasty. Yeah. It's a dynasty. So a real sloppy, messy dynasty. Yeah. She is Robert Jr.'s and Seaward Originals sister. She's in that generation. So one below Big Bob. Right. Of the first Angel Evangeline. And she is a pretty eccentric lady. She also ended up having three husbands. She was oh, this your favorite Evangeline? Is this yes? Is this lady. Okay. Yes. 
When she was a young woman, when she was like in her teens or late teens, early 20s, she had a best friend named Belle Baruch, and they were probably lovers. Oh. Yeah. Belle was the six foot two daughter of a multimillionaire, Bernard Baruch, and she was a bit masculine, and she liked to wear suits, and she liked to shoot guns and do all sorts of fun things. She rode horses, she sailed, and she was, quote, unapologetic. <laughs> Which I think for women in the the, 20s, probably just had an opinion every once in a while. Right. Don't really know. She was definitely in love with Evangeline. It's hard to say what exactly their relationship was, Uh but everybody was very confident in the fact that she was in love with Evangeline. Got it. So they were very close. They were activists together. And Evangeline, in her 20s, she was part of this thing called the Heiress Corps, which was actually called the New York City Red Cross Motor Corps. But it was basically women helping out with accidents and things that needed help with in the states and she helped with a munitions depot explosion in new brunswick and stayed out in the field helping victims for days like didn't leave the field for days so she did try to genuinely help people i think i think that she she probably wasn't a very good mom but i think she's one of the more harmless eccentric people sure she was born within months of amelia Earhart, just to give you some context of like the time frame and she actually also flew a plane she flew a single crank airplane that had a rolls royce engine and one time she flew her plane over palm beach dropping pamphlets to protest bathing suit restrictions which i just think is amazing like why why not she was upset because she bought all these new bathing suits they wanted her to wear stockings with the bathing suits i don't want to i'm gonna get in my plane and and i like palm beach was the place did she live in palm beach she was no they they had higher restrictions because florida be floriding and she was like i'm gonna get involved she's like friends with the president but she's also dropping pamphlets about bathing suits (laughs) and i love it yeah in her own airplane cranking it up herself cranking it up herself (laughs) her relationships with women she had several assumed relationships with women but they were all kept secret at the time there is a johnson later we're going to talk about casey johnson who was out and proud and this book is like only 10 years old but they just keep drawing and i guess 10 years ago was like spicier to be gay i just feel like everyone i know now is bisexual so i'm like (laughs) who cares but they just keep being like evangeline couldn't be but casey was and good for her you know whatever but So Evangeline literally is like friends with the Wilsons, who were the president and first lady at the time. They wrote to Woodrow Wilson to get him to do a radio chat. And then it had one of his largest audiences he's ever had. Wow. And Belle and Evangeline shared an apartment on Park Avenue for years in their 20s. Which just was roommates, just cute, just fun roomies. roommates doing roommate stuff. Well, they actually, it was very scandalous and weird. Most women at that time went from their father's house to their husband's house. Right. It was very True. rare to even live alone. So the concept of like, we're just gal pals and she wears a suit and she has short hair. No big deal. Don't worry about it. It's but, very foreign. Bob wasn't around. So that's true. That's true. He was not. So they lived in this apartment. They would go to clandestine, like hidden gay clubs in the East Village together, which I think is fun. And they would hang out with Alice DeLamar a lot, who was an out heiress, lesbian heiress, who had had inherited $10 million from her father. So they, they hung out with prominent lesbians, which is fun. 
At one point, Evangeline went to Europe with Alice and telegraphed home that she was going to marry this fancy Englishman. That engagement became broken, and possibly the phone call home was a prank on Robert Jr. It's kind of like unclear, (laughs) but it's also assumed that it might have just been something to put in the tabloids so people wouldn't assume that she was gay. Mm. She eventually did get married to a man, Leopold Stokowski, in 1926. And right before that, Evangeline and Belle went on a five-month train trip through Europe with the widow, Edith Wilson, like with Woodrow Wilson's wife. So they were like very close friends. And just a side note, Edith Wilson was called the secret president for several years because Woodrow had a stroke in 1919 and continued to serve as president for several Uh. years. So they talked about how she was basically pulling the strings. They also speculate that Edith Wilson and Evangeline had a physical relationship. They had a very intimate friendship, but Mm. women's friendships are sometimes just intimate. Who knows? Who knows? Also, just side note, her marriage to Woodrow Wilson was scandalous because he was married before he married Edith. And when they first got together, there was a typo in a prominent newspaper that he wrote he was entertaining her, but they wrote entering her. And that was Great. quite scandalous. Very scandalous back then. Yes. I mean, it'd be kind of funny now, too. But Yeah, yeah. So when she's 27, she marries that guy, Stakowski, who was a musician and a Don Juan. She was 27. He's 44. He was famous and well-known, but not wealthy and they married very quickly and the brothers Robert and Seward judged her for that but they were like a conductor and she was like not a streetcar conductor honey like (laughs) but still they reluctantly attended the wedding Uh and that wedding ring was made of a gold nugget that had been given to her by the Wilson family what a wild ride that's what I'm saying I couldn't edit out anything (laughs) it's all insane it's all crazy I can't edit (sighs) so they both cheated on each other and the marriage finally ended leopold and evangeline yeah his name is yeah yep yeah actually yeah sikowski leopold sikowski yeah nailed it wow okay ladybeard ladybeard good for you they got divorced when he cheated with greta garbo Yeah, everybody's important. So in 1937, Evangeline was in Reno because apparently you had to establish residency in Reno to get your divorce. And she was waiting around at the same time that Seward's first wife was waiting around. We'll get to all of those relationships later. So that's just like the whole family's getting divorced all the time. When she got her divorce, she charged him with extreme mental cruelty and she wanted equal custody. And at 63, Leopold remarried Gloria Vanderbilt when she was 21 years old and Evangeline married a literal prince, Prince Alexis Zelstem Zaleski, who was known as a charming gigolo. (laughs) She was the first and the only member of the Johnson family to actually be royalty. She was princess, but most of the family mocked her title and said that it was bought and paid for, that she specifically married him to get it, that Uh maybe his title was shaky as well. And I just think it's funny because the general made fun of her, even though the general (laughs) was not really a general. He was a general for 60 days, Emily. (sighs) Excuse me. You are excused. So 1960s, they traveled to Europe together, her and her second husband, and he suffered a heart attack on the way home and unfortunately passed away. But by 1967, she met Charles Merrill, who became her third husband. This man is one of the kookier characters of this tale. He started as her hairdresser. And press learned about him in 2000 after she had passed away because a script showed up on eBay from Charles Merrill, who had written a film about the family. And the minimum bid on eBay was $900,000. 
Wow. Yeah. So they got married in a yacht in 1971 by Seward, and it shocked society because he was outly homosexual and was a hairdresser guy. Yeah. Was a gay charmer of rich old ladies. Got it. At this point, the general didn't even go to this wedding because they were feuding because he had cut her out of preferred stock and control of the company because he's not a nice person. And so they get married. Evangeline is at least 30 years older than him. And at 94, she died from a fall, which was unfortunate. Charles was advertising this film and thought that she should be played by Elizabeth Taylor and he should be played by Matthew McConaughey or Brad Pitt. He thought very highly of himself. So when they, yeah, when they got married, they moved to North Carolina and her daughter, Saja, who was an adult from a previous marriage, came to visit and said that it was chaos there. It was full of squalor. They had animals everywhere that weren't housebroken. They had chickens roosting everywhere. They had wild horses out on the property. And she still had millions of dollars. But for yeah. some reason, he decided they were going to live there. And when she died, Charles sold the farm and moved to Palm Springs to meet other old ladies. Yeah. It all comes full circle, you know? Full circle. She was dropping pamphlets and he went there to meet some more old ladies that hopefully availed themselves of looser bathing suit restrictions. And probably owned planes. Yeah. Uh, he said later, the first time they got into bed together, they were both thinking about her second husband. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> cool, mm. cool, 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 cool. Uh, a princess. Was yeah. she still a princess after the prince died? I think so. I think she probably kept the title because that's how they roll. Yeah. When she was in her second marriage, she traveled all the time and she sent her daughters to boarding school she was also like a just a kooky lady and when they were toddlers she started explaining sex ed to them she was showing them contraceptives when they were teens she bragged about going to illegal abortions and like being involved in a clandestine underground abortion ring which like a lot of clandestine stuff so much clandestine and i like love that she's like teaching her daughter safe sex and that she's pro-choice but like at the time this is crazy and she's also like showing them diaphragms when they're like kids so it's Uh it's over the top it's definitely over the top and then i just wrote in this family the husbands didn't parent and she didn't either (laughs) she apparently raised her daughters kind of but she by the time she had grandkids she just kind of waved at them she was Uh like i'm good and her daughter saja went so far as to distance herself from the family and took the name greenwood just so she wouldn't be known as a johnson but then she applied for a grant from her uncle's foundation and was denied. Oh, no. So to sum up Evangeline, Seward Jr. said that he knows Seward gave her preferred stock, but the general converted it to common stock. And the general once said, if she had been a man, she would have been running the company because she was just like a brassy, intelligent lady. Sure. But he also said once to her, if she wasn't his sister, she would be the only woman I would have married. Weird. Which is fucked up on so many levels. And also he got married three times. Right. <laughs> so that doesn't make any sense. Okay, so Seward, who's Evangeline and Robert's sibling, he also had three wives. And is Seward the one that was uh, sexually abused as a child and then his brother came and got him? Correct. Got it. Yes. Yeah, so he was the one that was with the socialite and then his brother rescued him and held it over his head. They did not have a good relationship, him and Robert. So his first wife was Ruth Dill Johnson. She was 21 when he was 29. He aggressively pursued her with really expensive gifts and they got married in London. And she was from a very prominent Bermuda family, the Dills. And Seward was actually really happy to join their family at first because he didn't really have a close family. So he was excited to have some buddies. 
Their first child, unfortunately, was stillborn because late into the pregnancy, she went sailing on a yacht into a storm. Oh. Rich people problems, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that's But their second shame. child was Mary Lee, and she was actually the first face they put on the baby powder can. Oh. Yes. She, unfortunately, was the most troubled of their children. She grew to have some issues with alcohol and drugs, and she's actually the one that accused him of abuse. So again, we're going to get into that a little more later, but that is kind of her deal, and she is the first of their children. So when they're married, he bought this mansion called the Marywold, which you can Google. And it is a kooky giant mansion in Highland Park called the Castle. And it cost $350,000 before the Depression. So just gigantic. And this house alone experiences divorces, burglary, attempted kidnapping, and a murder. So get psyched. Oh, I'm excited. The construction of this house and a murder. Is this where the owl thing happens? The staircase Yes, this is the staircase. (laughs) (laughs) We're just swiftly transitioning into the staircase. He imported 500 tons of English slate for the roof because it was a thing they used at Oxford. We have slate over here. (laughs) Not this slate, baby. Okay. And they had an airstrip for private planes. They had Zodiac signs all over the place. They had a boat called Zodiac. And apparently the house was so gothic looking and creepy. Seward Jr. said, I would kiss my mother goodnight carrying a loaded twenty-two rifle when I was nine or ten. <laughs> okay. So this is just like a nightmare house. Yeah. There were secret passages. One of them was 300 yards long and it went to his private barber shop. What? Yeah. What a weird thing to need a secret. So strange. Yeah. Was they also the same hairdresser that Evangeline married? Oh, <laughs> he was well, just if only. In there. He's like, hey! In my Sassy head, and like, brassy. Because the, also the way they describe homosexuality in this book is that <laughs> everyone is like the most flamboyant person in the universe. Yeah. So in my head, every time I hear Charles, He's like, he actually sounds like Tiger King to me. Like he <laughs> is like a gay farmer that's just, sure. you know, out and about. But uh, about Tiger King. Yeah, right? <laughs> what a time. So the house had a hidden staircase. It had like classic bookcase where you pulled it and it was a room of liquor because it was during Prohibition. Uh, okay. It was just fancy as hell. Like it was yeah. just over the top. The actor Kirk Douglas at one point married Ruth's sister, Diana, and they went to stay there at the beginning of their marriage. And he didn't know how rich they were because Diana was chill. And he thought that the gardener's cottage was the main house. Like that's how ostentatious this whole thing was. So Seward's children that he has, he has four kids, Mary Lee, Elaine, Seward Jr., and Diana. Ruth continued to get pregnant, but he made her get abortions as to not weaken the bloodline. Oof. Yeah. Evangeline likely arranged these, but we don't really know. For a minute, you're like, oh, maybe Seward's okay. And then you're like, nope. Yeah, not great. Everybody's the worst. <laughs> yeah, the, the made her get them is, a, is not great. That's a very different thing than like, we decided four was enough. Like. Yeah. So they're living there. They've got all four kids. Uh Their youngest, Diana, is a baby. And 18 days after the Lindbergh baby kidnapping, there's an attempted kidnapping at their house. They were only 20 miles away from where that happened. The world is panicking. And an intruder got a ladder to the nursery's window, which, of course, is in a different wing of the house. Uh, and he got you don't to want to hear the baby cry. Ugh, like, gross. <laughs> gross. I mean, it sounds great, actually. But... <laughs> They got the ladder to the window. They cut the screen and their full-time nurse, don't worry, they've got a full-time nurse, 
caught him and called the watchman. So the watchman at the house, John Shea, ran at him and shot at the man on the ladder. And the man on the ladder had a revolver and shot back. So the intruder was chased and the police eventually came and chased him down and they found him at a diner. He like hid out in a diner and he was looking exhausted and they were like, hey, who are you? And he like immediately reached for a gun. So they hit him and dragged him in. And so they got him. They got him. Uh, At first he said he was a guy named George Malden from Manhattan, but he was later identified as a thief that had stolen $3,000 from their house a few weeks earlier. So he might not have been trying to kidnap them at all. He might have just been trying to break in and and steal more stuff. So he stole stuff from the Johnson? Yes, Yes. three weeks before. From Spooky Murder Castle? From the Murder Castle, just not as like boldly as a ladder and a screen, I guess. His name was actually Richard Cohen, and he was an escapee from prison who had only served 10 days of an eight-year sentence, and he like escaped on a detail. Uh, Maybe he brought the ladder with him. He was like, you know. Yeah, maybe. And uh, yeah, he was working on something, painting, and he was like, I'm just going to walk over this ladder. So they get pretty scared by this. Yeah. And they add barbed wires and bars to the windows. But then Robert the General actually takes this opportunity to convince him that he needs to leave the United States to protect his kids. And he convinces him to put a third of his total money into trusts for the children. And Robert will be the overseer of these trusts. So then, this sounds shady as hell. Yes. Yeah, so now Robert has majority control of the trust Great. because of this fear mongering. So they took the kids to Bermuda for three or four years. And the good news was that they won a sailing competition. And the bad news was Seward fell in love with his 14-year-old sister-in-law. No. Yeah, it's bad. No. Thankfully, nothing happened. How old is Seward at the time? He's in his 30s. Not good. He is like enchanted by this child, and it's very upsetting. And thankfully, nothing happened between them. Yeah. But he told Ruth he wanted a divorce and briefly left the family. And the Dills were devastated because they liked him before that. And now his their child is being abandoned and their grandchildren and fan the daughter's name is fan i don't know why but she was devastated as well because she just understood that she was part of this issue like she Uh, didn't it wasn't a relationship at all he literally just met this 14 year old and was like i like her so he goes back to new jersey or they all go back to new jersey after that because they have to leave bermuda because he's a creep yeah and then robert sent them to santa fe where they stayed with georgia o'keefe what this story i can't exclude anything i can't (laughs) cut anything this is a 12 episode no it's not but it's just like (laughs) there's nothing that can be cut yeah so after they stay with her they go to england and they decide they're going to try to reconcile the relationship so seward gets really into hunting he starts keeping hunting dogs and the children were raised by governesses and nannies he and tutors about the most dangerous game the hunt for man <laughs> yeah not great Evangeline at the time was also worried about the kidnapping and they lived in Manhattan during the week, but at an estate in Connecticut on the weekends that was later owned by Diane von Furstenberg, who is a fashion designer who invented the wrap dress. Yeah. Yeah. So she hired a couple to watch her children to like prevent kidnapping, but she received two actual extortion letters that were like, give us a thousand dollars or we'll take your kids. And they were going to the very fancy Dalton school. The police got involved, but thankfully the kids were never abducted. So, in 1937 back to Seward Ruth gets a divorce from him and the claim is a cruelty of a mental nature Yeah. but she said later it was a crime of extreme indifference she was like he just stopped caring that I existed basically so she got the mansion and she got custody of the kids and she was given I would want that mansion that thing sounds spooky it's spooky as hell and they got $12,000 a year and 50% of Seward's fortune would go to her children their children together 
after his death. So she she did pretty good. And three years later, she remarried a Lehman Brothers banker and sold off the main house and just lived in the groundskeeper cottage because that was all that she needed. Yeah. Uh, she died when she was 83. Unfortunately, during a mistake during colonoscopy, they nicked something else by accident and she passed away. And in 1963, the new owner of the house was a Johnson & Johnson consultant named Charles Farmer. And he eventually shot and killed his wife and then attempted suicide. Yikes. Yeah. So eventually the mansion was sold and it became offices. Okay. Which is probably a good thing. Yeah, but murder offices. Murder. Murder train. Um so Seward Senior in 1939 marries his second wife, Esther Underwood. She was a liberal, wealthy Bostonian and an heir to the Deviled Ham Spread Company. Oh, what a dynasty. <laughs> I literally was like, oh, ham. And then ham spread. I honestly don't know what that is. Eventually, him and Esther had his fifth and sixth children, Jennifer and Jimmy, but he literally spent their wedding night with another woman. Yeah, he's off the rails at this point. He uh, He's really living it up. He had a chauffeur. He had multiple homes. He had a fleet of custom-built sailboats. He's just doing whatever. Eventually, that daughter, just to explain that there, there's a lot of people that say the family has a curse. Daughter Jennifer married a race car driver who later suffered from manic depression and killed himself. So that is an unfortunate oh boy. end to her story. Yeah. So his second wife, Essie, was a little bit masculine. A lot of people actually suspected that she was gay, and she called Seward stupid all the time. So they had a great relationship. Yeah. Uh, it no one feels like he needed that in his life, though. Somebody, a little uh... bit. To be like, hey, you stupid. So they got divorced in 1971. No surprise there. And she gained a $20 million settlement, which seems to be kind of the standard. That's the going rate settled, for a Johnson going marriage. Going rate for a Johnson marriage at this yeah. point. I promise we're rounding out on Seward Jr., but or Seward the OG. Seward right. Jr. is a whole other fucking story. Uh-oh. So Seward's last wife, Barbara Piseca. God, there's another Barbara. Her name, they call her Basia, so we're going to call her Basia. Okay. They met when she was a 34-year-old chambermaid, and he was 76. Ugh. And his eventual death at 87 led to an incredibly lengthy court battle because he left her all of his millions of dollars. Some people say oh. 400 million, some people say 500 million. So I'm not really sure, Didn't but he already like owe half of his fortune to his yep. kids. Yeah, yep. okay. He changed it. it. So they when they got married, they built a mansion named Jansa Polana, which was also the name of Leo Tolstoy's estate, and it was so big that a month of electricity bills was $52,000. Nope, that's too rich. In a large part because they were air conditioning the dog kennels. <laughs> but, you know, that's Good nice. For the dogs. Good for the yeah. dogs. It cost $30 million to build, and it was one of the most expensive homes ever built then. This is the most over-the-top house, I think. It's filled with famous art. It's filled with antiques. For Band-Aids. They made Band-Aids and, and baby powder. And because of ah. that, this house had 39 toilets. Oh. And that's how you know. That's so many toilets. That's how you know. That's so many. I would want to get a group together and flush them all at the same time. Oh, wow. Just wouldn't that feel like... Just to see. That's living, baby. (laughs) (laughs) So daughter Mary Lee said that the divorce previous to marrying Basio was not just of his second wife, but was also of his family. He basically was like, peace out. Mm. I'm done. Seward Jr. was devastated by this abandonment and was sent to a school for boys with learning issues. These Johnsons love abandoning their They kids. love abandoning their sons, all of them, and then the sons get mad. Like, the other thing is divorce doesn't really have to mean abandonment, but they're like, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> 
I did it. Sorry. I'm done. I didn't ever want to go to your soccer games anyways. I'm done. Okay, so this is kind of getting into Sewer Junior. So we will we'll hold off on Sewer Junior until next week because that is a whole other thing, you guys. Sewer Junior, for a minute in the book, they're just giving his comments on things and you're like, oh, maybe I'm going to like him. And then you're like, oh, no, he, wait, he's a monster too. Like they're all, oh, yeah. they're awesome. all the worst. But yeah, we're excited about this series. I'm excited about this series. This family is insane. <laughs> <laughs> at some point we will get to the baby powder stuff and i think that'll be a little more businessy and get into the kind of some of the court findings but for now we're just focusing on yeah, how just a bunch of hijinks these people are insane because i think that's a fun mix yeah. them up change it up and yeah we'll be back this will at least be a three-parter i'm hoping to do it in three but i'm gonna be honest with you guys it's i can't skip i can't edit yeah they george o'keefe for no reason randomly popped up woodrow wilson gave a gold nugget like what are we talking about (laughs) if this makes me feel like there were 35 people in the country and they were all just high-fiving each other and then divorcing and getting married also i spared you guys from it but almost all of these people have six names like almost all of them (laughs) are like robert wood johnson jr james and you're like why so many names yeah so thank you for that but yeah i'm excited i'm pumped up yeah i'm fired up i mean this is already such a spicy foundation you're gonna to... my oof, there's we're gonna get into some <laughs> misled paternity tests soon where it's only getting spicier yeah it's only getting spicier i'm kind of looking for like a tease to tease into the next thing uh, there is a prominent whale room another whale wait is this <laughs> this is this is has to do with the people that wanted the whale on the top of their house actually other whale people whales, more whales whales oh, are very amazing prominent in the wealthy also at some point a later barbara that you guys haven't even met yet okay insults a woman on the record in a courtroom and says she has a face like a pizza (laughs) so that's what we're dealing with um we're gonna have dogs with squirt guns we're gonna have (laughs) whale rooms the kennedy's doctor gets involved you guys I don't know how to tease this out anymore. It this yeah, is fucking. I'm nuts. thrilled. I'm very excited. <laughs> Get ready. Please come back next week. Please tell your friends. If you guys enjoy this episode, please post it. We're going to try to get better about posting clips. If you see one and you enjoy it, we'd love for you to share it. We're trying to get more people to listen to the show. This episode alone took me like 20 hours of research. I'm not fast at this. Please tell anybody. And But we're not thirsty. We feel great. No. Yeah. Super thirsty. Uh, no, no. Hydrated. Hydrated. So hydrated. Hydrated. <laughs> But yeah, we love you guys and we really appreciate you listening. And if you have a moment, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Tell a friend about your favorite episode and please come back and listen again next week. Woo! Bye! Bye! Thanks for listening and a big thanks to Carsey Bland for the theme music. You can follow the podcast everywhere at Yeet the Rich Pod. You can email us your suggestions for future episodes at yeettherichpod at gmail. You can follow me at the funny Walsh, and you can follow Danny at dmoss315. See you next week.